Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Morning, morning. Lovely to be here with you. Mark chapter 11, if you've got your Bibles. We are in our vision series, and last week I laid out uh, a phrase that we really felt that God laid on our heart uh, from uh, Mark chapter 11, and it was around a house of prayer for all. And I really encourage you, if you haven't heard or haven't caught up on that, you can catch that on the podcast. It's going to be very uh, important for us this year. We'll continue to talk about that more and more. Um, but I just wanted to, uh, over the next two weeks, unpack our vision statement. And in many ways, this stuff is just words. I'm going to throw this first slide up. The first one, if you got it there, M. Yes, yes. To establish a thriving Spirit-led community where individuals are empowered to love God, love others, and make a positive impact in the world. That is not our vision statement. I asked ChatGPT to create a vision statement for a church plant. Um, our vision statement is the next one, following the way of Jesus into the restoration of our neighborhoods. And I did that because I know for many of you, both those things, they're just words. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, sounds nice. It's good stuff, you know. It's like one of those things as an organization, you're meant to have a vision statement. They talk about it in Bible college, you've got to have a vision statement. They talk about it in the church growth thing. Our heart, though, is that these words would actually create worlds in us, that they would become more than words, that they would infiltrate and impact everything that we do, that they would shape the architecture of what we do, and it would actually be lived out in a community, that we would be a community of people following the way of Jesus into the restoration of our neighborhoods. Um, this morning, I'm going to take the first part of that vision statement, following the way of Jesus. Next week, we're going to look at the restoration of our neighborhoods. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Mel and I had two nights away without Milo, kid-free, and uh, it was awesome. We spent about 25% of the time eating good food, about 25% of the time chatting, dreaming, hanging out. And the other 50% of the time, we spent looking at photos of Milo on our phones <laughs> while we were wishing that we were away from him, but we also wanted to be with him. And that's what you do as parents. But one thing we did while we were away, we went to um, a new museum. It's called Sydney Modern. And there's an exhibition in the Sydney Modern that's called The End of Imagination, which I think is just a, a brilliant name for an exhibition. It turns out they built this museum on top of a World War II oil tanker. And so you go to the Sydney Modern and you go into this exhibition and they give you a rundown of what to expect. They're like, don't go in if you've got epilepsy or if you're scared of dark spaces. It's going to be really dark down there and you're not allowed to speak. If you speak, you've got to whisper. And just go slowly because it's really dark. And so you go down this spiral staircase, a couple of stories, and you can like smell the oil. And it's like this ominous, 
sort of place that you walk into and it's huge. You fit thousands and thousands of people in there. And there's these massive pillars and it's dark and they've put these like sculptures in there that kind of look like demigorgons from Stranger Things and it's freaky and there's like flashing lights. And we're walking around this exhibition and slowly I turned to Mel and I said, did the room get lighter in here? And she says, no, I think your eyes change. I think you're, like you can see stuff because you first go down, you can't see anything but then, you know, if you are there for a while, you begin to adapt to the environment. Um, and here's the thing, like the room didn't change, but I did. And I think there is a very interesting thing to take into account when we talk about our own formation, our own ability to change as human beings. And part of kind of the thesis that drives our church is that you are actually able to change that following Jesus should actually result in you becoming a more loving person, a more joyful person, and a more peaceful person. In our, um, our culture tells us that we want to change by changing the room, changing the environment, going on that holiday, or getting a new house, or getting a new spouse, or getting a new church, or whatever it is, that if we change the environment, we will change. And there is some truth to that, in that like environments do shape us. But the way of Jesus actually tells us that our interior worlds are able to change and grow and expand. That is the way of Jesus. That we are to become more like Jesus. You can go to a different oil tanker and your eyes not change. But the hope of Jesus is that you can actually become a person of love. That is the end goal of the Christian life, that we would be bent towards becoming people of love more joyful, more peaceful, regardless of the room, the environment, the house, the job, the circumstance, the financial position, the relational stuff going on, that we actually can live into more love and joy and hope. And so I want to sketch out just over the next few moments what we really shape our church around in terms of following the way of Jesus and how, why we do the things we do. It all comes down, it's very intentional, the stuff we do, the stuff we don't do, is structure to help us, bend us, create intentionality around us following the way of Jesus as people. Is that cool? So, I want to just start with Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Would you mind um, actually standing with me as I read this out, just as a way of honoring this ancient text that we believe holds weight for us that the Spirit speaks through. Verse 28 says this, Then Jesus said, this is the most beautiful invitation, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find a rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Father, I just pray that you would begin to speak to us this morning, that these words spoken from this stage, spoken on this microphone, would become more than words. That would become a hope and a vision to live by that we would capture a glimpse of the kind of people that you can change and form us into. In your name, amen. You can grab a seat. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. One of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture, I reckon. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We live in a, in a restless culture. I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, that we are restless, distracted, unable to sit with ourselves. We always want to go to the next thing, listen to the next podcast, watch the next show, Survivors on tonight, very excited. Um, and when you are a restless person, when you are restless, when you have not much rest, if you don't sleep well, you'll notice that your body doesn't function in the right way. You'll notice that your temper is shorter. You are, it's actually harder to be a person of love. You're more selfish. You, you, know, you, you don't make the decisions that you hope to make. And actually, a way to overcome the restlessness that Jesus gives, the antidote, is an interesting thing. So he, he asks, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That's a very interesting moment because what Jesus is doing is asking you to take action. Come to me. I think in the evangelical church, we've got this really wrong that we think following Jesus is all about what we believe, about our theology, getting the right doctrine in place. We kind of think we buy into that kind of modern idea that we're just brains on sticks. But Jesus never asked his disciples to come and believe in me, come and have faith in me even. But the thing he most often asked his disciples to do was come and follow me, actually follow me. It involves faith. It involves belief, but it actually takes your feet and your body as well. Follow me. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. And the prescription he gives for our restless souls is a yoke. A yoke, which is, you can see one here. A yoke is a piece of wood, a contraption that ties two animals together so that they can pull a plow or something for farming. And so the thing that Jesus says to fix our restless souls, our weary, burdensome souls, is that. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't look like rest to me. It doesn't look like very fun. It doesn't look like sitting on the couch watching Survivor tonight. It's pretty counterintuitive that the answer for our restless, weary souls is actually structure and work and boundary. And that goes against so much of our kind of Western thinking that like we would, that, that like structure would lead to boundary. But you think about your life all the time, it's structures that help you have freedom. Uh, if you stopped at a traffic light this morning, it actually helped the flow of traffic. You might have had to stop, but the overall experience was much better. There's like, you know, cars went driving into each other, is actually a structure that gives freedom. Or you think about a schoolyard, kids going out to play, recess, at lunch. The, the schoolyard fence gives boundary and ironically gives freedom for kids to play because the teachers don't have to worry about them running onto the road or someone coming into their school that shouldn't be in the school. Structure actually can create freedom. The antidote to our restless soul is a yoke, is a boundary. Milo and I uh, planted cucumbers not too long ago. And cucumbers, these particular cucumbers, grow like a, they're like a vine, and they grow up a trellis. And the trellis actually gives structure and boundary to the organic matter. And so we've been training the vine to go up the trellis, and one vine we didn't train properly, and it had borne fruit, it had a cucumber on it, but it was on the ground. 
And because it was laying on the ground, there's insects over it. It got a little bit mushy underneath, and the fruit was no good. It's actually the trellis that allows for the organic to grow. That's like the way of Jesus as well. This is what Jesus is getting at here in this verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. The answer is my yoke. Walking with me, working with me, as the message translation puts it. And so we think that the way of Jesus actually requires some trellis. That if you're to follow the way of Jesus, and I drew this little drawing, you can marvel at my artwork. The way of Jesus is a way. It is something to follow. It's not just doctrine to believe. It is actually a path to follow. We are to apprentice under Jesus. Most scholars say that the best uh, translation of the word disciple, which kind of means student, but the best translation is apprentice. You apprentice under someone because you want to become good at what they're good at. I want to apprentice under Brent because I want to be good at building and have an aesthetic house like him, right? I apprentice under someone to learn what they're good at. And so we actually follow the way of Jesus. We follow after a rabbi, a teacher, not just a savior. Absolutely, he's a savior, but he is a teacher to follow. And Jesus says time and time again, he says, I am the way. He talks about the the gate to eternal life is narrow. The way to eternal life is narrow. Jesus' way is narrow, but it is deep. And the question that, you know, as a pastor, I think about a lot is what does it actually look like for you with your family and your life in 2023 on the Central Coast to actually follow Jesus? What does it practically look like for someone like you, like me, to follow Jesus? And we we talk about two guardrails, two trellises that help the organic grow, the practicing and the gathering, that we are actually to be practicing Christians and gathering Christians. You can see my writing there. It's not that great. But they are like guardrails to help us on the way of Jesus, the, the trellis that helps the vine grow. Practicing. You apprentice under someone because you want to become good at what they are good at. And so we apprentice under Jesus. We learn from Jesus because we want to get good at what he is good at. Ultimately, we want to become people of love. People of love, people of joy, people of peace, people of the kingdom, of an alternate reign, people that live from the future, that we are in a grand story of the world bending towards justice and beauty and creativity and goodness. See, the things that you do, the things that you practice, the habits that you have actually do something to you. If you go to the gym and you work out, it will do something to you. That's all theory to me. I've never been to the gym in my life. But if you watch TikTok over and over again, it will do something to you. Diego and I, Diego's around, yes. When we were renovating this building, um, this floor had purple carpet on it. Beautiful. We almost kept it. No, we decided not to. Um, But in order to get, we had to rip the carpet off. And then there was like a thick layer of glue. And we had to get the glue off in order to grind the concrete and seal it. And so we were in, in this room here, in the meeting room, and we had tried all sorts of stuff to get this glue off. And we ended up using this horrible chemical stuff that you kind of paint on and it like lifts off. And then you've got these like scraper things that you just scrape for hours and hours and lift off the glue. And Jag and I were working in this room. We had some tunes on 
and we had painted the chemical on. We had masks on, but uh, we, we started to realize that, like, the tunes were really good. Like, we were really feeling the vibes, like, a little bit too much. And Diego turns to me and says, I think I've got to step out for a minute. Like, I'm, not, I'm just feeling a little strange. I was like, you go, man. I'm, I've got this. I'm like, I'm loving it. And um, I lasted another two minutes or so, and um, I, I was high as a kite. This is the only time I've ever been high in my life, and it was in this church. And, and uh, we walked out, and we laid on that grass, and I think we just laid at the grass and just, like, looked at the, the clouds. <laughs> the things you do do things to you. The things you do, do things to you. And so there are things you can practice, things you do, habits, rhythms you have that you visit time and time again in your life that actually form you and shape you. That's how we work as humans. That's why we go to the gym. That's why we do all sorts of stuff, because it does stuff to us. And we've really boiled down the practicing to six practices, six core things that we feel like from, the, from Scripture, from the tradition of the church that help us give structure and guardrails to the way of Jesus, that actually help us practice to become people of love. Those things are Scripture, prayer, Sabbath, generosity, serving, and hospitality. We're going to talk about these a lot more. We're going to do a, um, a whole series on this in Eastertide, so the time between Easter and Pentecost. We're going to do a week on each of these. But these are practices tried and true over thousands of years, over all different continents and people, um, that have helped people time and time again become more like Jesus, follow the way of Jesus. You'll notice the first three are more internal things. The, the, the second lot of three are external things. And you'll find, you, you might look at, at this and think, is this, is this a list of stuff I've got to do, you know? Is this a list of stuff that, man, I've got to tick off? And um, in, in one way, I would love all of us to be practicing all of those things as we continue to grow and enlarge in different ways and, and work out different muscles. But if you're looking at that and go, man, I, 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 haven't, I, I haven't got any of that down, the worst thing you could go do is go home and try and do all those things in your own steam. When you train, again, this is theory, I've never been to the gym, but you slowly increase the reps or you slowly increase the weight or the duration of running or whatever it is in order to enlarge your muscles, in order to enlarge your capacity for more working out. And so it's the same with us. We just slowly increase the weight or the consistency, or the distance with each of these things, and they begin to shape us and enlarge us. These are just containers for the Spirit of God to move. They're containers to hold the Spirit of God within us. As I read Scripture, it's just a container for God to speak to me. As I pray, it's a container for the relational space between God and I. As I serve, it's a container for me growing in love for other people, that I put my will down and serve someone else, as I, I um, open my house up and welcome people in that I wouldn't normally welcome in. It's growing my capacity for love. And you'll find with each of these, there are some for you that are like downstream practices. They're easy. They come so natural to you. It sounds great, like Sabbath and resting. Some of you are like, yes, that's me. Like I'm, I was built for this. Uh, for some of you, generosity comes really naturally. You're just like a very generous person. And, but then there'll be other practices that are upstream, seems a little harder, it takes a little more work, it takes a little more muscle to get up, and that's okay, it's good to realize that. 
I know for me, hospitality is one of those ones, it's an upstream practice because my house is my castle and I'm an introvert. And so welcoming people in actually takes intention and effort, but it helps me bend my will towards becoming a person of love. Does that kind of make sense? We grow more like Jesus, not by trying harder. This is not like God will not love you more because you practice Sabbath or you give money to church or whatever it is. No way. God will not love you more because you do these things. But you will open yourself up to become more like God. Practices are like stacking firewood. You can take my shoes. That's fine. Um, Practices are like stacking firewood on a fire, right? A practice, Sabbath is like another log. We start with some kindling and then some other little smaller pieces of wood, and we just keep stacking these things up. But the main goal is not the log, it's the fire that's burning, that we would become people desperate for the presence of God, that we would become people on fire with the love of God. Um, Jeremy and Larissa uh, have a company that they started, and I was not paid for this ad. Um, But one of the products I make is a Dadventure Diary, which I love. Uh, I've got one. And um, basically, it's like to go on an adventure with your kid, and then you write it down, and you write down some things that happen, and then you stick some photos in or drawings or whatever, and you can look, it's like a storybook. You go look back at all the adventures you've done. Um, And I went on my first adventure the other day. We went on the train. Um, Milo's obsessed with trains, and so we went on his first train ride, and we went to the park. And the thing is, like, I already had a relationship with Milo. I was always going to spend time with him. We we're probably going to go on a train at some point. But just the practice of setting a date, writing things down, taking photos, sticking them in, gives greater intentionality to the relationship, right? It's like the practices of Jesus. It's not, like, it's not making Jesus love me more. It's not, it's not saying I'm saved or not. Paul says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not work for our salvation. We receive that. From, from Jesus. He already just says, come follow me, regardless of where you've been, what you've, what you've done. But we work out our salvation. We work it out. We train. We grow it. We enlarge it with fear and trembling. And that's like setting intention like a dad venture is a little practice that helps bring intentionality to a relationship. It's a container. Does that make sense? That's all the practices are. They're not a pass or fail and I know, you know, people can get uptight about this, that, like, it becomes a very religious, structured thing. Um, but it, they are just containers for the Spirit of God to move. The second arm of that guardrail is, is, is gathering. So practicing and gathering. And all through Scripture, a call to follow Jesus, a call from Jesus to come follow me, was simultaneously a call to do life with a bunch of other disciples as well who were traveling with Jesus. And, G- and, and following Jesus is inherently a communal sport. And people will disagree with me, but I don't think you can be a solo Christian. I don't think you can just be a Christian on your own because the, you think about the worst thing we can do to a human being other than kill them is put them in solitary confinement. I'm an introvert and that's like, you know, too much. I don't know why we think we can apply that thinking to the church and think that, like, my faith is just a privatized thing or it's just a thing that I do on my own. Like, it's just not possible for you to grow and enlarge. We actually need to be around other people moving in the same direction. And we need to be around other people that disagree with us, have different ideas with us, that annoy us, that we actually need to grow in love to, like, get around. Uh, I heard someone say one of the best ways to grow in love is to find someone that annoys you and love them well. 
Like that's the best way to grow in love is to get around people that don't agree with you or see eye to eye with you. So we really buy into a thing called the theory of proxemics, which is a sociological study. I don't have time to go into all of it, but basically the study says that uh, different group sizes do different things to us. That as, you know, we are inherently social beings, tribal beings, and we operate differently in different group sizes. You kind of, this is kind of common sense. You operate differently in a public space than you do in someone's home when there's 10 people around a table and when you're sitting one-on-one with someone, right? We operate in, there's different parts of us that are in operation. And the theory of proxemics says that each of those, those spaces do something to us. They, they form us in different ways. And so we've applied this kind of to the architecture of our church around three different spaces that help form us and shape us and grow us and sharpen us in different ways. So there is uh, Sunday gatherings, which is like the, the, the public space. That's where we come, worship, prayer. We sort of engage in this ancient practice of gathering as Christians. We open scriptures. We get around people that we wouldn't normally be around. We have incidental conversations. All of that is really, really powerful. Um, there's this thing called, uh, oh, I've forgotten it now. That's good. How awkward to stand in front of people and forget what you're going to say. I don't know what I was going to say. Collective effervescence is the word. Collective effervescence is this idea. Have you ever been to a concert and there's like the music is pumping and it just feels like the crowd becomes like one kind of organism, right? There's like something that happens. It's called collective effervescence. People study this stuff. That like when we get in spaces and we sing together or we do something together, there is something that happens to us biologically, metaphysically, spiritually, as we engage in a group of people doing the same thing. Um, we, singing is proven. When you sing with other people, uh, people have done studies on this. It's, it's proven to um, regulate your nervous system. People that sing together regularly are proven to be more healthy, both emotionally and physically. When we get together with a larger crowd of people, it does something to us. The Sunday gatherings, we've got dinner parties, which is our small group structure. Uh, uh, based around a meal. We believe in church around the stage and church around the table. Uh, this is what the ancient church did in Acts chapter 2. They met in the temple courts and they met in homes. And um, dinner parties is sharing a meal with people, which is a profound thing in itself. In, all through the book of Luke, we see Jesus just go to dinner party after dinner party after dinner party, meal table after meal table after meal table. So much of his ministry was done around the meal table. And I think there's something so profound in getting with a group of people that you probably normally wouldn't get together with. We share in the Lord's communion over the meal that we're having. We share the highs and lows of life. We pray for each other. And that simple practice is very profound. And I find that a lot of people love the idea of that and not so much love the practice of it because it turns out to be very ordinary, uh, just very normal. And sometimes, you know, your dinner party's pumping and it's just good vibes. And sometimes it's just like, ah, oh, it's just ordinary. I think when it comes to dinner parties, we need to think of them more like family groups than friend groups. We kind of think about dinner parties as like, I just have all my best friends around and it's just going to be the best time. And we're going to drink wine and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to have like the most ascetic table going on. Um, but it's actually more like a family group where you've got the weird uncle and you've got like that one cousin that you like, and if they don't turn up, then there's no one else you like, and there's like awkward different views on politics or whatever it is. 
But there's something profoundly forming about that, that we get around the table with people that are different to us, but we're united and part of the same family in Christ. There is something very, very beautiful about that and profoundly transformative. And then the third space is triads, which is um, a space that we've been experimenting with over this last year, which is two or three others that you would really intentionally go deep with. Um, This is not a structure that we set in place. It's actually people have to opt into this. You have to find the right people. But we talk about walking at the pace of Jesus as an acronym. I hate acronyms, but for some reason we're using an acronym. Um, Walking at the pace of Jesus together, praying for each other, P, that we would pray for each other regularly. So I know the guys in my triad pray for me most days, not every day because they tell me they don't do it every day. But that practice alone, that you have someone praying for you every day, is really, really powerful. You have someone to turn to straight away when something's going on in life. Um, Accountability. So I can come to the guys in my triad and say, this is the sort of person I want to become this year. These are the practices I'm putting in place. And to have someone ask you about that is really, like that, that social pressure is really actually helpful in forming a habit. Um, confession, that we would have people that we can be profoundly honest with in our life, particularly in our spiritual lives and what's going on deeper in our in- interior world, a, a practice that the church has lost recently. Um, but to be able to, in, in a way that there's no power dynamics, it's a mutual submission to each other. And then encouragement. You have people that would encourage you, that speak life into you, that speak a scripture or prophetic word or encourage you on something they see. That is very, very powerful. And so those three spaces working together actually create a a very dense ecosystem of growing and gathering in the way of Jesus. That kind of makes sense? Practicing and gathering. Practicing and gathering. It is possible for you to become a more joyful, more loving person. It is possible. Will the people in our church be profoundly more like Jesus in 10 years? That is one of the key questions that as as a pastor I have to ask. Will I, in 10 years, be profoundly more like Jesus? And I think that is possible as we walk out the way of Jesus practicing and gathering. Now, the thing is, you do not have to change. Like, it's your imperative to change. You don't have to change. No one's making you change. Um, But I heard this quote recently from Scott McKnight, who's a scholar. He said this. It's very, very profound. You change for two reasons. Either you're on a quest or you're in a crisis. Pretty binary, but he said, like, they're the two reasons that you change and grow as a human being, that you enlarge. You're on a quest or you're in a crisis. You're on a quest or you're on a crisis. And to be brutally honest, I think if you're here and you're not on a quest and you're not in a crisis, like there's nothing we can do for you. (laughs) We can't help you. We can't make you change. We'll be here waiting when you are because you inevitably will be. But they're the two ways that we actually grow and change. Do I want to be profoundly more like Jesus in 10 years? Well, it's going to either come through quest or crisis. Probably both. Most likely both. Over 10 years, absolutely. We all go through crisis. But whether we'll be on a quest is actually our choice. Crisis is always going to come. Do you want to change? Do you want to follow Jesus? The invitation is there.